Good morning. It's so irritating whenever you're singing cracking songs and you can't sing along. Good songs, though. Brilliant. Um, sorry. The spirit was singing. It was dancing at the back. It was great. Um, no, I'm not going to dance at the front. <laughs> Dear me. Okay. Um, we're going to, uh, we're drawing this season to a close that we've been looking at regarding the I am sayings of Jesus. And uh, today we're looking in particular at the I am the resurrection and I am the life. It's not the, the last one chronologically within um, the seven, it's number five, um, but it's a really significant one. Um, the whole point of what we're doing when we've done this uh, and what John's purpose is is that people get to know who Jesus is. Um, we want to know who Jesus is so we can ask him, who are you? And then he gives us, in John's gospel, seven statements, I am. And we've looked at some of these and been profoundly challenged by Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. I am uh, the good shepherd. And now we come to this one. I am the resurrection and I am the life. As well as the seven sayings in John's gospel, John also takes seven signs to outline who Jesus is. And actually more than that, to show the glory of God, to show the significance and the weight of who God is through Jesus. And he takes these seven. If you notice in John's gospel, there aren't that many miracles. There aren't that many wondrous acts compared to some of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because John has an agenda. He wants to get across these, these representative events in the life of Jesus to get across a message of who Jesus is. The reason I mention that about the signs is because of the seven signs that Jesus does in John's gospel. This, the raising of Lazarus, is number seven. It's been building to a climax. It started with turning water into wine, and this is the last um, sign that John um, puts out there. And it happens at the same situation where John is given one of the I am's. And that doesn't happen that often. So we're looking at this situation where the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the sign, and in the midst of it, there is this statement that Jesus makes that I am the resurrection and I am the life. Now, um, just to show you how cultured I am, okay, Piero della Francesca. Oh, come on. It's the resurrection by, uh, by the Renaissance artist Piero della Francesca. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not really a Renaissance artist buff, but um, I, do, I do like the odd, you know, painting. I think they're quite good at the old drawing. Um, and this one is the resurrection, and it shows Jesus, the triumphant one out of the grave. And that's what we sing on um, Easter Sunday, don't we? We sing those triumphant hymns. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, it wasn't a standalone triumphalist statement. He was saying it in the midst of a situation, a real life situation and context. He was saying it to an individual person with a few people listening on. It wasn't a pronouncement from a pulpit saying, behold, I am the resurrection and the life. It wasn't that triumphalist. It was personal, it was intimate. It was in the middle of a funeral. It was in the middle of a person's funeral. It was in the middle of a friend's funeral that Jesus says this. Now, 
I've been kind of wrestling with how to approach that I am the resurrection and the life because it would be easy enough in one way to kind of go through that. What does resurrection mean? What does life mean? But I kept on coming back to the context where Jesus is saying this. That's really important. And the people involved in the statement where he says this. Now, we um, have the privilege of doing a number of funerals. We have um, a close link with Brooke Smith's funeral directors. And uh, the clo- what I mean by close link is whenever they've got a tricky one, um, a non-religious one, they ask us. And I have to say, apparently, word on the street is Lisa Holmes does a really great non-religious funeral. <laughs> Make of that as you will. Um, but no, joking is that we try to be there and, and bring something of the grace of God, even in those situations. But often people say, I don't want any religion, but can we have the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> oh, and what's that thing, the Lord's my what? Shepherd? Yeah, we'll have that as well. And what they mean is, don't beat us, <laughs> sorry, don't beat us over the head with the Bible. Don't do the whole Bible bashing thing. Don't tell us highfalutin language. But, you know, but can we have this as well? Other people don't want any religion at all. That's absolutely fine. But there is one poem. And sorry, if, if you've chosen this for your funeral, if you've chosen it for a friend's funeral, if you think it's brilliant, you're wrong. It's called, it's, oh, I can't even say it. Death is nothing at all. Death is nothing at all. It's, I'm not going to read it all. One, because I haven't got much of a voice, but also because it's rather insipid. Death is nothing at all. I've only slipped away into the next room. Death is nothing at all. I'm sorry. Death's a pretty big thing as far as I'm concerned. You know, the death of a loved one, the death of anyone actually is a big thing. My death, you know, I, I'm not particularly fussed about it, to be honest. Um, what was it? Someone said, um, I don't mind death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> death is a pretty big thing. And this insipid kind of poem, of death is nothing at all, I've just drifted into another room, diminishes the severity and the seriousness of death because we need to take that seriously because then we can take seriously what Jesus says when he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. John 11 shows the importance of it because death, as opposed to is nothing at all, death is something absolutely. It's something we deal with. It's something maybe we fear. It's something that that, you know, we grieve over when we, when we have a loved one who's passed away. We know from experience, and it's important to see that this is where and how Jesus says this massive, earth-shattering statement of, I am the way, the truth, the life. Let's just recap the story a little bit. Jesus has done a number of things um, in and around Jerusalem. He's caused a bit of a stir. Um, his life's been threatened, and they go off, and they're semi-in-hiding away from Jerusalem because Jerusalem's a dangerous place for Jesus at this time. And word gets sent to him that his friend, his good friend who he loves, Lazarus, is sick. And Jesus decides to stay for two more days. He stays for two more days. Now, that seems a bit odd, doesn't it? You'd think Jesus would get up and go straight away. N.T. Wright, the great um, Bible scholar, has an amazing um, view on this, um, which you find out a little bit later on in this story, um, that Jesus spent those two days praying and seeking God's view, seeking his Father's heart about what to do. But regardless of that, 
Um, if Jesus had got up there and then and gone to um, Bethany, which is only a couple of miles from Jerusalem, where his life was in danger, if he'd just got up and went, Lazarus would have still been dead. Now, do a little bit of maths with me, will you? Thank you. Okay. So Jesus finds out here that Lazarus is sick. He waits two days. Are you with me? And then he leaves to go to Bethany. He gets to Bethany and Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. So at the very least, as soon as Jesus has got the word that Lazarus is sick, he's actually died. So Jesus knows supernaturally at some point that Lazarus is no longer alive. So whether he leaves in two days or whether he goes straight away, Lazarus is still dead. In fact, he's not just dead. He's really dead. Now you think, okay, Phil, <laughs> there's a live and there's dead. Well, yes, but in, in Jewish times, there's a bit of negotiation. Um, You'll see what I mean in a second. If, you, if a person was dead, there was a belief that their spirit hovered around for about three days. Three days, that sounds familiar. Three days, and then whenever the spirit noticed that the body was starting to decompose and there was no way back, then it would depart. So on day four, Lazarus is really dead. Before that, it could have been a resuscitation. You know, they didn't have all the monitors to know whether someone was absolutely dead 100% or not. There's been many cases where people would have had been in a coma and then woken up a little bit ago, but would have, to all intents and purposes, seemed dead. To the, to the kind of first century mind, that might have seemed like they'd come back from the dead. But actually, they were, they were literally asleep. But Lazarus is dead. There are only other um, occasions where we have reference of Jesus raising someone from the dead. Is Jairus' daughter... And she would literally had just died. So she was still in that kind of negotiable space. And the widow of Nain's son, who was also on his way to be buried. So it was done very, very quickly. So he had just recently died. But let's get it straight. Jesus stayed those extra days to make sure that well and truly Lazarus was? He was dead. That's the situation. And he, he turns up. And this is where I think it's really significant that he turns up and Martha is the first to approach him. I want us to briefly look at Martha and Mary in, in the light of this. And in that context, we see I am the resurrection and the life. Both Martha and Mary cry out to him, if you had been here, he would not have died. Both of the, this is both uh, a statement of belief. Jesus, you could have healed him. Sincere faith. But also it's a complaint. One of the reasons I really wanted us to see the reading today is because we read it awfully politely. Because if your brother has been ill and you send to a person who says that he loves him, who has the ability to heal and doesn't show up until he's been in the tomb four days and he shows up, you're not going to go up politely and go, well, if you'd been here. You would go up, and as she did, she would beat his breast. Why weren't you here? If you'd been here, he wouldn't be dead. Mary then crumbles before him and weeps and sobs. If you had been here, he would not have died. If only, if only. It's, it's the amazing ability that we have of imagination, which can also torture us with what might have been. If only you'd been here, Jesus. Because I think at this moment in time, they are desperate, they are sad, and maybe they're a little bit disappointed in Jesus. And I think that's really significant for us to hear. 
Because how many of us in our lives have felt at some level a disappointment with Jesus? That we've prayed a prayer for many years and it hasn't happened the way we wanted it. That person hasn't got well again. That job didn't happen. That situation didn't resolve itself. And we go, Jesus, why didn't you? If you really loved me, would you have turned up and done this? And we're disappointed in Jesus. And what's amazing is that we are allowed to beat on the breast of the Savior and say, if only you'd been here. And notice Jesus, who is the resurrection and life, does not triumphalistically, if that's a word, say, oh, don't worry, I'm going to bring him back in a minute. He doesn't say it like that. He lets her beat upon his breast. If only you could have. And we are allowed to come into that place. And the amazing thing is, not just did she say that, but then Mary well, first of all, there's the delays. Why was Jesus delayed? There's unanswered prayers. There's trials and sufferings in the first place. The question is, is this how Jesus treats his friends? You who say you're the resurrection and the life? The thing is, all of us are part of this fallen, broken world. There's no promise in Scripture that says, if you are a friend of Jesus, you will be cocooned from the suffering of this world. If anything, the opposite is made clear that actually sometimes you'll have a harder time. But there's nothing that says if you are a Christian, you're going to have a breeze, that in some way you're going to be Teflon and suffering will just go off you. We are in the midst of suffering. Here, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are in the midst of suffering and they're really close friends of Jesus. How dare some teachers, some alleged teachers of the Bible, teach something different and say that if you have enough faith, then nothing can go wrong with you. I'm sorry, there are some of those teachers who are officially dead. So at some point, they got sick. At some point, did they not have enough faith? Let me tell you the truth. We are not immune from the struggles of society, the struggles of this broken world. And instead of some way thinking we can just walk through a Teflon like Jesus is in the middle of these situations. And he allows Martha to beat upon his breast and say, if only you, Jesus. And then she follows it up really swiftly with this. But I know that even now. I know that even now. When Jesus says the, the words we're going to look at in a moment, I am the resurrection and the life. She says, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I don't know if she was saying this through gritted teeth quite possibly, quite out of desperation. But the thing is, she wasn't basing her faith on what Jesus could provide for her, but basing it on who Jesus was. And let me tell you, I think that is a really pure, honest, and raw faith. One that can beat upon Jesus and say, why on earth did this happen? If only, if you say that you are, why, why, why? But even so, I believe. And if you doubt whether that's allowed, just check the Psalms out. We can cry out to God and say, why, if only, why not? Because it's not about what Jesus can do for you. It's about who Jesus is. It's not about whether he can heal or give you the job promotion or supply this. It's not about what he can do for you. It's about who he is. And what is Jesus' mission all about? It's about revealing the Father's glory through him, about revealing who he is. That's the agenda. Who is Jesus? You know, it takes a lot of faith to pray for someone to be healed. 
I think it takes an even bigger faith, an even more pure and rawer faith in the absence of healing to still say, Jesus, you are exactly who you say you are. And this is what Martha is doing. I still believe you are the resurrection and the life. He says these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Then he asks the question, do you believe? And she says, yes, I believe you are who you say you are. I don't think she really understands what she means when she says, yes, I do believe you're the resurrection and the life because that will blow her mind. Because Jesus said to her, um, Lazarus will rise again. And she says, yeah, I know. Now, you can read that one of two ways. Either she reads it or she says it in a very faith-filled way. Yes, I know he will rise again. Or in response to a platitude, yeah, I know. Yeah, standard response, he's going to rise again. Yeah, whatever. But Jesus takes this future theology, which was shared by the Jews at the time, It was one that was um, buried all the way through the Old Testament in Daniel, in Isaiah, the belief that one day God will come and restore all things and people will rise to a glorious resurrection. It was standard Jewish belief apart from the Sadducees because they were sad, you see. It's an old one, but it's a good one. The Sadducees didn't really believe in that. They didn't really believe in the supernatural or miracles. They were kind of more political, um, but they were in the authority. And you see in other places in the Bible, they argue with Jesus about the resurrection. They didn't believe it. But standard Jewish belief was one day there will be a resurrection. And that was the hope that was looked for in the future. And here is Jesus saying, that event that you look for in the future, he drags it into the present and saying, I am. Remember those words, those two words are potent in themselves. Yahweh, I am. And then he finishes it with, I am the resurrection. I am the life. That's a pretty bold statement to make at any time, but it's even more bold statement to make in a funeral. I am resurrection. The thing you're looking forward to in the future, that amazing event, that's me. It's not an event, it's a person. And I am resurrection. I am life. It's a massive statement. It's a God statement and it needs backing up. And we'll draw on to that in just a few moments. The next thing we have is Mary. And Mary comes to Jesus and she is weeping and she asks the same question. She says, Jesus, if only you had And Jesus sees her weeping. He looks at the friends who've gathered and they're weeping. And then we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Um, That's the Greek. It's literally two words. Jesus wept. It's translated Jesus wept. Another translation which probably captures it a bit more. Jesus burst into tears. Why? Have you ever thought about this? This is Jesus who even way back a number of verses ago knows, he says, this sickness will not end in death. He knows he's going to go and wake Lazarus up from death. He knows he's going to, whenever he says your brother will rise again, it's not about the future. He's talking about in a couple of minutes time, I'm going to raise him up. But yet, why does he weep if he knows he's going to raise him up and everything's going to be okay again? He weeps because of what it says 
Um, just before, he says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come also among there, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And here again is a rubbish translation. Actually, the Greek word is he snorted like a horse. It's actually a turn of phrase. The turn of phrase about snorting like a horse actually said Jesus was downright angry. When he saw Mary weeping, breaking her heart, when he saw those who'd gathered around crying, it wasn't just that he was troubled in spirit and felt a bit sorry. He was downright furious. What was he furious about? The fact that he'd been disturbed from his holiday a couple of miles away? The fact he was being demanded to, to do a, 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 you know, a magic trick in front of everybody? Was it because he was annoyed that people were hypocrites in the way that they were moaning? Was he annoyed at their unbelief? No, I think Jesus was angry because he was seeing a snapshot of the devastation that the fall has done. And it's got personal. Wouldn't have been the first time. Joseph, his father, isn't around in the scene. He probably died. Jesus is angry at sin. He is angry at the brokenness of the world. He is angry at what effects happens. He is angry at death. And that is the fuel that drives him towards Golgotha, that drives him towards the cross. Because remember, coming here is actually really dangerous. And the irony is, Jesus comes, and when I say irony, it's actually quite comedic if you stand back a little bit from it. Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. That causes a bit of stir at Jerusalem HQ. And they, the clever folks that they are, say, right, this guy is causing trouble. He's raising people from the dead. Therefore, he has power over death. Only one conclusion, kill him. Yeah, how did that work out for you? Um, he is angry, and it's what drives him to Golgotha. It's got personal. He's seeing the devastation. It's not just about the, the Mary in front of him. It's not just about Lazarus broken down. He is grieving the tears of creation that is broken because of the fall. He is angry at death. And so he goes to Lazarus, and he cries, Lazarus. Come out. I am the resurrection and I am the life. These were big words in a really high tension situation. Highly emotional, highly emotionally charged funeral. Jesus says these words. He's going to have to back this up. And so he says these words. I am the resurrection and I am the life. What actually is he on about when he says that? So he explains it. He says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Is there life after death? Oh, you're convinced, aren't you? <laughs> yes, there is life after death. Do you know why? It's not because of anyone has had a near-death experience. It's not because of that bright light at the end of the tunnel and the angelic music and all those stories. There is life after death because I know a bloke who went there, died and came back again and has never died since and his name is Jesus. There is life after death. There is hope. That We have a hope in the future. If we believe in him, he is the resurrection. He is what we can rely upon for the future. There is a huge difference in the funerals that we take between those that are Christian and those that are non-Christian. We cannot emphasize the difference enough. 
I remember my grandmother, um, Nanny Bickerstaff. She was an amazingly godly woman. And she was on her deathbed, and she was... Um, and we went and we all paid our tributes to her. And I went into her and not a tear in my eye. And I went, Nanny, I'm feeling really bad. She said, why, why are you feeling bad? I said, I'm feeling bad because I, I don't really feel that upset that you're going to die. And she went, oh, neither am I. <laughs> I went, because I know where you're going. So do I. And we prayed together. Because that was the difference. She knew her Savior. She knew the I am the resurrection. And therefore it was not a vague belief in the future. She knew him in the here and now. Do you know what? We had the privilege to walk alongside Michael and JJ recently as a church and as individuals. And you know it took a long time for them to have the funeral for Bethany. And it was a beautiful, Lisa did an amazing job by the way. A lot of people said that um, kind of leading the service. And it was amazing, the floods of tears, the sadness, but all the way through, there was hope. And I noticed when we gathered together after, we, after the burial, we gathered together, and I made a, a, a notice that at a funeral of their daughter, the parents, how could they smile? They could smile because they know Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is the resurrection. So therefore, death does not hold any fear. Do you know what I said a few minutes ago about that poem that I don't like? Death is nothing at all. And then I said, actually, death is really something. Well, the thing is this. According to 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes, he quotes, he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your is your sting. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The thing about that, saying death is something, because Jesus is alive, well, the truth is, death really is nothing at all. It really is. We can actually say that, that's, that poem title, because Jesus is the resurrection. Death is nothing at all to him. But that's not just about resurrection in the future. Jesus also goes on to say, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. He's not just re-emphasizing. He goes on to say, and whoever lives by believing in me, you will never die. Does that mean, well, if we're Christians, you can shoot me, but I ain't going down? No. It means that if we have a relationship here with Jesus now, that goes on for eternity. It is not interrupted by death. That's the reality of it. So the question is, is there life before death? No, it's there life after death. That's kind of taken care of. We know that. Are you living a life before death? See, I used to think that, um, you know, Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus was like an access all areas pass backstage. That it was a passport to paradise. That if I'm on the guest list, then I'll get in. But then I realized, actually, it's about being part of it now. It's not pie in the sky when you die. It's meat on the plate while you wait. Doesn't rhyme, but you know what I mean. Relationship with Jesus now goes on for eternity. So when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, I am also the life. So are you living life before death? Or do you have death even in your life right now? Raising from the dead was not a common thing, even in Jesus' ministry. There's only a handful of references to him doing it. But he brings life in all its fullness to all of us. And this life in all its fullness does not end with a tombstone, but goes on beyond. That's the reality of it.
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even though, according to this world, they die, they will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Notice the key word to all of that is the word believe. Trust, rely, depend, and Lazarus walks out. Do you notice something that Jesus never prays, will you raise Lazarus from the dead? Do you notice that? Jesus' prayer is a prayer of thanks. And his prayer of thanks, he goes up and he says, open the door of the cave, of the tomb. And Martha goes, practical as ever, no, it's going to stink. It's been four days. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pleasant. Please, it'll bring shame on us. Don't do that. Open the door of the cave and the cave is opened. And Jesus then immediately does a prayer of thanks. Why? How did he know that the Father had answered his prayer? There was no smell. There was no smell. Because life had come out of death. And so in the depths of hell, in the depths of Hades, in the depths of death, Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out. And when resurrection, when life calls out to death, death has to obey. Because Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. And I suppose the question, I am the resurrection and the life, the question is, do you believe that? Do you still believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Not that you look forward to it, but even now he is the resurrection. Do you believe that nothing is a lost cause because Jesus is the resurrection? When people say the church is dying, you go, well, we know a guy who came back from the dead. We can handle it. Jesus is the resurrection. When people say, you're a Christian, get a life, you can say, I really got one, and it's going to go on a lot longer than you think. I know the life. The life now. Not the life Pie in the sky, I am living life now. Are you truly living? I think you look out to a lot of people out there and they're not living a life, they're existing. Maybe you look around this room and you know there are people in this room that are not living, they're existing. Maybe you're looking in a mirror and you know that you're existing, you are not living the life of eternity. If you know Jesus, you know the resurrection. You have hope for the future. You ain't going to die like other people might die. You have hope for eternity. But you also have life now in abundance if you want to know him. So do you believe that he is who he says he is? In the midst of unanswered prayer, delays and disappointments, do you still believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection? I am the life. Amen.